Well, hello. I'm Matt Williamson. A little frustrated. Yesterday, I did the AFC North, and I guess that's sort of two days in a row that as the podcast, the Locked On NFL podcast, that I guess this is the second day in a row where it got all crazy like I was talking underwater more and more as the, as the uh, podcast went along. So you guys didn't hear the final two teams in the North, the Browns and the Steelers. And I know there's a high Steelers contingency out there. So I'm going to redo those now. And I ran to Best Buy and I did some homework and they gave me a new cable to connect the my blue snowball to my laptop. So hopefully this works. Um, I, any feedback would be wonderful. I, of course, will listen to it and see if it's a problem or if it's all fixed. The Just sitting here on my garage band, it sounds like it's getting a lot more response or maybe it's a lot clearer. Or, I don't know. So please let me know. Um, let's talk brownies. So, and I said all this yesterday, so it kind of feels weird to talk about it again. I'm not that impressed with their draft. And something I said yesterday was all these people out there that do what I do and work for NFL Network and ESPN and CBS and all these different places, they give draft grades, which overall are pretty dumb anyways. Just to do a grade, an ABC type grade is crazy. But also to grade a team like the Browns that have the... 1, 4, 33, 35, 67, 105, 150, 175, 188 against teams that have very, very few, much fewer cards in their hand on a, on a, they grade them on an equal playing field is crazy. Like the Eagles didn't, they trade out of the first round because they didn't have a second and third round pick. Like they didn't bring much to the table, you know, like, and they won the Super Bowl. So if I judge the Browns draft, first of all, they became a lot better during this draft. But I feel that goes without saying. I mean, you better with the first fourth, 33rd, 35th pick. You better get a lot better. I don't think this is the direction I would have... I know it's not the direction I would have went in the first round, but I don't like their draft all that much, to be honest with you. And I don't think they got enough for the resources they had, the immense resources they had. First of all, Lamar Jackson was my number one quarterback. I'm going to say that over and over, and when I talk about the Steelers here next, I would have taken him in the first round. And I told you yesterday, the Raven, my favorite pick of the whole draft was the Ravens taking Lamar Jackson. So I understand he wasn't going first overall. So put that aside. I liked Rosen and Darnold more than I liked Mayfield um, for many reasons, but in particular in Cleveland, and I lived through this with Jeff Garcia as our quarterback, Small, not great arms, small hands, not overwhelming physically, doesn't play well late in the year in Cleveland. And especially if this pick goes swimmingly and you're 10-6 and six or a playoff team these next couple of years and you're hosting playoff games by the lake and you can't throw out patterns. You know, I mean, I'm not saying he's a weak-armed guy like Garcia, but I don't know that he fits that town all that well. And I do think overall some of those things get overblown, but in some cities it's really important. It's not the only reason I I don't love the Mayfield pick. I just, you know, that spread system, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people, and I thought this was a really good point, saying one year ago, no one thought this guy had any chance to be a first-round pick. You know, I mean, like all of a sudden we now love him. You know, like, uh, okay. I mean, I don't love Rose and I don't love Darnold either, but uh, Mayfield is not the direction I would have went. 
they did, and it sounds like I'm being highly, highly critical of them, but overall, I understand it. Okay, and certainly the the predecessors, you know, the uh, Sashi would have loved this guy. I mean, the numbers say take Baker. So, okay, you take your quarterback at one. I got, I, I can live with that. I get it. I understand Denzel Ward at four because, and we've talked about this a lot, Greg Williams is a blitz-heavy guy, wants man coverage. You know, I'm sure they envisioned Denzel Ward on Antonio Brown that and bring the house and create pressure with blitz. And you already have Garrett, and I get all that. But to me, with Chubb still there, and you guys know I don't love Chubb. I mean, I think he's a really good prospect. I think Chubb's a better prospect than Ward is, you know, in a nutshell. And I always would go defensive lineman, pass rusher over corner, especially an undersized one. With all respect to, with Ward. Ward is a good player. I mean, there's no doubt. But to take him at four, like, to me, you have two picks in the top four and didn't get a top five player in this draft. You know, like, that doesn't sit well with me. (laughs) And Chubb was there for the taking. And to me, that was the obvious choice, was put Chubb, Chubb and Garrett on the field together for years to come. And so be it that Greg Williams... You know, maybe he'll won't blitz as much. Well, okay. You know, then maybe we'll get a different coach. You know, I mean, like, I think he, I think Chubb's a superior prospect at a superior position. And in the end, with those first two picks, I don't think they got a top five player, despite picking first and fourth. That doesn't sit well with me. I like Austin Corbett a lot, the second rounder, early first pick in the second round. And I think that's where he should have went. And I used this example yesterday, so I am repeating myself, but none of you heard it, that a couple picks before this, the the Patriots took Isaiah Wynn, and it looks like he's going to play left tackle. The hole on the Browns line is left tackle. And if Corbett's going to be that guy, despite everyone looking at him as a tackle-to-guard, shorter-type guy like Wynn, okay, you know, because there weren't great tackles available. He's a good player. He's going to help you somewhere. And, you know, everyone's praising the Patriots for doing it. Why can't we praise the Browns for doing it? I guess. But, again, I think you are. I know he's tackle in college. But I do think you're asking a guard prospect to play left tackle. And I do think left tackle is the biggest need on this team. So, overall, I'm not super critical of that. But it's not the most wonderful fit. Nick Chubb is a... I'm a big fan. I think he might be the best, or probably second best, pure runner in this class. Hand the ball to him. Let him run. And... And an elite athlete, I think he will go past Hyde. And I love the player. I think he's an underrated receiver and will develop there. But if you're an 0-16 team, can you take a luxury pick like that? I mean, to me, that was a little bit of, hey, we don't have needs. We can take anything we want. You know, kind of like, you know, you just signed Hyde. Duke's a really good player. So, again... You know, you have four picks in the top 35, and none of them were I saying, wow, that's great. Chad Thomas, you finally go get your defensive end. And I think he's got some upside. You think he's fine. I thought 67 was a little early for him, but uh, okay. Antonio Callaway is very interesting to me. Maybe the best receiver prospect in this draft. Maybe the most talented, put it that way. And Dorsey with the Chiefs did a similar move with Tyreek Hill, and it's worked out quite well. He's only a fourth rounder for off-the-field reasons, and there are many. And 
I think, I know, many teams would have not taken Callaway in the seventh round. They don't want him on their team. So I get that. You get a potentially great player and a difference maker in the fourth round and much in the Hill situation. But you've won one game in two years, and you're going to put him in the same meeting room with Josh Gordon. I mean, aren't you trying to build a culture, you know, and you don't have Andy Reid as a head coach, and you don't have a stable organization that's won a lot of games. You know, it's not the same. So that may work out great. I just think that it also might not help the team at all. Um, I really like the Avery pick at 150 overall. He is a big, thumping, fast downhill linebacker that also can line up as like a 3-4 outside linebacker type and rush the passer. I think there's a lot to like about this guy. I was He's one of the shocks of the draft. I thought he was a late third type of guy. They got him in the fifth. I think that's really going to pay off for them. And then they have two kind of throwaway picks. I know no one's a throwaway pick, but two six-rounders. Ratley, a wide receiver from A&M, in a really crowded wide receiver room now, by the way. So I would think best chance for him is practice squad. And then Simeon Thomas, a corner out of Louisiana, which is fine. You know, I mean, I honestly don't know a ton about those two, but there's a lot of corners on this roster, too. Both those positions are very crowded. All right, now let's talk Steelers. And I'll probably take a little longer on these guys than other teams. And I've told you this, you know, I do work for Steelers Nation Radio. And one of my jobs with Steelers Nation Radio is to broadcast a draft. And, you know, it was like 20 hours of coverage or however long the draft went. I was on the air for all of them but three. And I was in the facility for the whole thing and well before and well after and you get a different perspective. And I probably would have disliked this draft more if I was sitting in my living room in my lazy boy like you guys. And it helps when you pull a scout aside and ask him some things or, you know, I mean, being there has its advantages. So I'm going to do my best not to candy coat this or look through black and gold glasses here. But, and to be very honest, when Terrell Edmonds was taken with the 28th pick, I went, man, That's bad. That's a reach. That's way too early. Couldn't you have got him maybe in the second round or trade back 15 spots and still get him? There's other safeties on the board, you know, Bates and Reed. That's what I'm thinking at the time. Well, as it played out, only one safety went in the second round, Bates, and it was a good 20 picks later, give or take, to the Bengals. So it wasn't like the rest of the league viewed... You know, like there was a lot of first-round safeties, and Reed went in the third round. That doesn't mean Edmonds should have went where he did, but maybe those prospects weren't as viewed as strongly as I thought. Fair enough. And when you watch Edmonds, I looked and I thought, boy, he bites on a lot of double moves. He's not real experienced in man coverage. He's a jack-of-all-trades, but maybe a master of none. I don't love his angles. He takes the ball carriers. He misses tackles. He is a big safety and a good-looking cat and highly athletic and tested extremely well. Great spark scores. And then they take him, and Kevin Colbert sits down with us and does his press conference and basically says, this guy played with a very bad shoulder injury 
for the entirety of the year. And most draft, draft prospects probably wouldn't have even gone on the field because they're putting out lesser tape. And Kevin also you know, knew his dad. He scouted Farrell Edmonds and knows the family pretty well. And his brother just got picked and he's a high character guy. And I mean, that's all great. Okay. Um, and so when you watch Edmonds through the lens of this is a guy playing with a really bad shoulder that shouldn't be out there, but is doing it for the sake of his team. You like him a lot more as a prospect, as a player, because certainly the agility, size, strength, explosion, all those things are there. And I absolutely think they would have taken Evans or Van Der Esch at 28 if that possibility was around, happened, they were both gone. And I think those are the only four guys, including Evans' brother and, you know, and Roquan, that aren't, aren't in the mix, that they looked at as Shazier replacements. So what they're going to do, and no one's told me this, but I have a pretty good idea, that when you sign Morgan Burnett... You draft a big, strong safety athlete. And then the fifth round, you draft Marcus Allen, who's an in-the-box safety that plays the run really well, is I think you're going to see big nickel as their base defense, that they're going to replace Shazier with big safeties. And if you look at Edmonds like he's Telvin Smith, well, then it makes sense. You know, I mean, just because he has an S next to his name as opposed to an OLB or, you know, it, it, the way they'll use them is they're going to have a lot of 210, you know, two or three, 210 to 220 pound guys near the line of scrimmage that are very versatile, that can drop deep into coverage, that can give them versatility against running backs and tight ends. And that's how they're going to play defense. And that makes a lot more sense. And that's where your team speed will come for. That being said, he is very much a project. I mean, he's more athlete than football player. And that's been a mold that they've signed or they've drafted lately high, and they haven't developed them great. So we'll see. Um, I really like the Washington pick in the second round. He a lot of deep completions from him, highly productive, um, good after the catch, physical, kind of built like a running back. I like this prospect a lot. They just traded Martavis Bryant. I would much rather have Washington for the next four years under contract than Bryant for one. That makes perfect sense to me. They'll be probably used in a similar role. Screens, you know, bubble screens, deep balls as he develops. Go up and get it. But he's not 6'4", and he doesn't run a 4-3. You know, he's very good at the catch point, very competitive. Um, if he fails, I think it'll be because... He isn't 6'4 and doesn't run a 4'3. You know, like, I don't think he's going to run by people at this level. But I do think there's a lot to his game, and they certainly know wide receivers. Mason Rudolph pick in the third round, that was the pick that they got for Bryant, was very controversial, and Big Ben's come out and said some pretty dumb things, if you ask me. Like, why would you even say that? Like, this stupid. But I liked Rudolph a lot. And going into this draft, I said it on the air many times that Ben's replacement ideally should come a year from now. The only two guys that are reasonable for where the Steelers pick are Lamar Jackson, who I'm smitten with, I get over that, and Mason Rudolph. That those two guys are the other only two I would consider. You don't use the don't draft another fifth round quarterback and hope he hits. That those two guys could become a starter. And oh, by the way, next year's quarterback crop isn't very good. So maybe that guy doesn't exist a year from now. And I think when Rudolph was there, they traded up a little to grab him. They claimed that they lumped him in with the other five top guys. 
And maybe they did, but if they did, wouldn't you, you wouldn't you have taken him at 60? I mean, to me, that doesn't quite sit right with me. But I also think that he's not, you know, Landry Jones, Dobbs, you know, all these guys that they've taken in the mid-rounds. I think they look at him as a possible Ben replacement. And I do too. I really like the way he moves around the pocket. He's got a lot of work to do. He's a big, strong kid without a cannon for an arm, but pretty good athlete, um, smart, certainly has work to do, has not seen much blitz at all at Oklahoma State. And I also like bringing him and Rudolph in together. Absolutely. I think that would be very good for their transition off the field and learning the offense and all those things. I look at Rudolph like this, though, that I think if he, I think worst case scenario, he will have a Landry Jones career. And that's a win for a third-round pick. I mean, for what backup quarterbacks cost, and Jones is a free agent after the year, that's his floor to me. Um, his ceiling is Kirk Cousins. You know what I mean? A, a middle-of-the-road starting quarterback. I mean, I, I don't think he'll ever be Ben or anything like that. But I do like the way he throws the ball. I like his poise. I like a lot about him. Um, and worth the pick. And I know a lot of people, including Roethlisberger, were unhappy that there's more, not more of a win-now draft. But I, I think you don't pass on a guy that you think can be a starting quarterback. Um, this also kind of goes for, for, for Chuk. They call him Chuk. Okafor. Big offensive tackle. Is not a win-now move. But they didn't draft any offensive linemen last year. And you can't go two years in a row without drafting offensive linemen. And you really can't wait for sixth, seventh round to try to get a developmental tackle. They're all gone. You mean So they use a late third on them. A very raw player with, with tools. I thought he'd go a little earlier than this. And the key here is Mike Munchak, their offensive line coach, is absolutely one of the best position coaches in the league. And this is a nice piece of moldable clay to bring in a young tackle. Gilbert's been hot, hurt a lot. Hubbard's gone. That was his replacement. Uh, Foster, the, the guard, is a free agent after this year. Maybe Okafor moves there. So you can't ignore offensive line. It's not like the Steelers' offensive line is getting old. But it's not far from getting old. You know, DeCastro and Pouncey and, you know, all these guys that have been there for a while. Even Villanueva. I mentioned Allen before, Marcus Allen. When they made that pick is when it, you know, I mean, I've been saying it all offseason. But when they selected their second strong safety and third one of the offseason when you talk about Burnett. I mean, I, it, it was crystal clear, you know. This is what they're doing. They're going to play a lot of big safeties on the field. And he fits that mold very, very well. I thought he'd go a little earlier. Jalen Samuels in the fifth round. He's he's a running back, but he's a very versatile guy. He worked out with the tight ends at the Combine. Catches the ball extremely well. I think he can run Le'Veon Bell receiver routes. You can hand it to him, but he's not going to be a bell cow back. Um some will even list him as a fullback. He certainly is not. Nick's, though, is a downhill hammer, Dan Kreider, neck roll guy. But he does everything well, and you move him around the formation, and I think he can beat up on linebackers. High character, really good on special teams. I think there's a lot of downs throughout the course of a game that he can help you. And, you know, you get that in the late fifth, that's worth it. And the last guy I talk about is our seventh rounder, Joshua Frazier, is a nose tackle type from Alabama. Um, Steelers usually keep three to, or six defensive linemen. McCullers has made this team kind of by default the last couple of years and as their nose tackle, who's pretty much always inactive on game day. And Frazier should boot him out of that job and be your sixth guy. And when Jacksonville comes to town, like in the playoffs, you have him active and you have a run stopper. You know, I mean, it gives you some versatility on game day. 
Uh, the key here is the Steelers drafted Frazier's coach from last year. Or not drafted, they, they hired. that He's the, the new Steeler de- assistant defensive line coach. So he coached Frazier at Bama last year, you know, and knows him better than anybody. This was a, a highly recruited kid that was never a true starter at Bama, but was very much part of a rotation, more of a run stopper. And there's no, you know, dishonor in not being able to beat out Jonathan Allen and Payne and guys like that and to be a, quote, starter for the for the Tide. So in the seventh round, they get a high upside dude that they know more about than everybody else that fits a need it knows. So there it is. Hopefully this all works out and give me some feedback over and out.